0: Hello, hello everybody, and welcome to the Talking City podcast. My name is Dan Murphy and I'm joined today by Simon Bukowski. Any closer to getting it right this this week, sir?
1: I think you're pretty much there, Dan. Well that's pretty good. That's there, good. Yeah. How, how are you doing, sir? How are you
0: yeah, doing, sir? Yeah, very
1: well. Very well. How are you? Well, we're already it's been an international
0: break, but when they're usually dull and nothing happens in them, it's actually been quite a lively one. um, Despite there being no action uh, on the pitch in the Premier League, it's been quite a controversial two week or so for a myriad of issues. We'll get into the the most topical and uh, controversial of them first of all, and which is just thankfully like minutes before we started recording for a change, instead of it coming after we finished recording. Project Big Picture has been rejected out of hand by Premier League clubs after the meeting today. Um, according to the Times only six of the 20 Premier League clubs are in favour of it and instead uh, at a proposal of um, a different way to bail out the EFL, probably only the League 1 and League 2 clubs and um, uh, will be done instead and kind of a, a proposal to for everyone involved instead of just Manchester United and Liverpool and uh, Rick Parry. So I presume we're both in agreement. That is very good news to hear. And how how did you? How was your reaction to kind of project, big picture, in the first place, and all that it entails?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it was a huge story when it broke, and uh, full credit to the Telegraph for Mm. for getting it. It, You know, the it would have been one of the biggest stories for football in you know decades, Mm -hmm. Um, as big as the creation of the Premier League, if not bigger. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no kind of everyone is in, in agreement that there are changes needed in football and especially the pandemic say. has exacerbated many things mm-hmm. for the, uh, the football pyramid. Um, and it's funny, cause if you, you know, a lot of the reports say that a lot of the lower league clubs were in favor of mm-hmm. the plan um, based on kind of the money that they would receive. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I looked at it and I was, I was scared by it and worried by it and, you know, even the the trivial things of as a reporter thinking, oh no, there could be twelve Champions League group games rather than six, <laughs> which, which would have felt to me like the end of the world. But um for you know, for some clubs and that it, it could have been far more mm-hmm. serious. Um yeah. and I don't think the concentration of power in the few is 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 a good thing. Um, So I think, you know, you you can see why these changes are, or why some of the changes are needed and why some of the things are being driven um, by some of the leading clubs. But I mean, the the top six clubs, all their official supporters groups put out a joint Mm. statement. um, Which United and
0: of... City did it uh, together, uh, Must and the City uh, supporters group both kind of did it combined. And considering United would be the most, the biggest beneficiaries of it. Considering <laughs> if you think of how poorly their club has been run at the minute, they'd be the. Yeah, you know, Liverpool are all right. They're at the top because they're actually good. Whereas this would have, in theory, kept United there when they could quite easily fall out of the big six by the end of the season with the way things are going.
1: Yeah, and I, I just, I, I mean. United, City, all the clubs are kind of constantly trying to get bigger and better. And Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that stuck out for me was the delay in the Premier League start or, you know, the start of the league so that there can be more time for the lucrative friendlies all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that kind of, you know, last season I was fortunate enough to go on the pre-season tour to, um, to Asia, to China, Hong Kong japan and um and there wasn't really much effort made to kind of woo new audiences and at the same time you had people you know who go to games or kind of think well wouldn't have been better instead of sending them all around the world um to rack up jet lag and fatigue Mm -hmm. if we sort of played local friendlies instead and played friendlies where other people could go and watch Mm. and you know, not not trying to be insular or anti-global or or anything, but I think the balance mm. is it, it, something that clubs always well. have to fight against and City, as they get more global, will have to fight against. But, well. yeah, if if they were to push that through, they would become more global and less local, mm. I guess.
0: Well, it's 100%. If you can imagine, you know, uh, Macclesfield went out of business. Uh, thankfully, uh, as of yesterday, he kind of got a reprieve, but... um. They went out of business uh, earlier in the summer for £500,000 unpaid debt. A city friendly with a local team like that. You know, clubs like Oldham, Rochdale, Bolton, um, Eddie, Wigan. You know, the sort of, Greater Manchester is in a perilous position as it is because there's so many clubs in pro- proximity to two massive clubs in Manchester and then just two other big clubs just 40 minutes up the road. So, as you say, I think that's a good point. I, it's always it's taken. It's taking football kind of away from where it's meant to be, putting it on the global stage, and it's another, it's just another kind of edging close to this European Super League that Angeli is, um, you know, desperate to get through, and I think this would be a precursor to that because it seems like the league, if United or Liverpool were the only were a Juventus like team in England as they are in Syria, as they are in Bundesliga, as they are, in, well, nearly are in Spain. It would once surprise me all of this was a lot easier to get through because England is a bit more competitive with six, five or six teams, you can see, at that much of level of competition, it's a bit harder for them. But let's like, as we said, ha- thankfully it has been rejected out of hands, but let's like, kind of look at the different kind of points of big picture because there was some actual, if you look at it, and as you said, you've said that about the friendlies, and I didn't even notice that. There was a lot in there. But kind of the broad points, there were some good ones. 250 million would go to the EFL today if it was voted through, and that would sort many of the clubs out who have absolutely needed it. Um, 25% of future TV revenue, I believe, would have gone to EFL clubs. There was uh, provisions in there for safe standing and um, uh, clubs. So you know, A lot of stuff that fans want, and a lot of stuff that would be great for the game. But it comes at a massive cost in the the negative column of the Premier League being reduced to 18 teams. The the EFL, Turkey's voting for Christmas, would lose two of their own members and it would be cut to 90 teams. Um, The playoffs, they'd have a less chance of getting to the Premier League with um, three championship playoffs instead of four with one of the the final players going to the final Premier League team, which as you see in, in that sort of relegation system in Germany, the Bundesliga side often... And apart from this year, actually, is usually the one who wins against the team coming up um, in the playoffs. Um, Carabao Cup would be gone, which <laughs> City Pep Guardiola's <laughs> trophy hall gets cut in half. Um, as as well as the Community Shield, there's no uh, quadruple as City liked to call it last year. Um, and the biggest kind of one of it all is that the the top six and then an added three of, of their choosing. It would seem because West Ham and Southampton are by no means guaranteed a place in the Premier League either. Um, would have uh, basically weighted votes in their favor instead of the one vote for one every club. They'd have kind of veto power and would have the majority saying how things are run. And that's just kind of solidifying, putting the league in stasis and putting not even a glass ceiling, a solid wood ceiling, like no one's getting through that. Like and. We don't know as of yet which clubs have come out, out against it, but you'd like to think that teams like City, who themselves have not been in the Premier League as long communatively as Newcastle, and Aston Villa, and Tottenham, who were mid-table side as well for long swathes of the last two decades, would think, "Hey, up! Oh, we wouldn't be in this position had had this been in place twenty years ago." It'd be Newcastle or. May I say it? Bolton Wanderers, who were challenging for the top six at once upon a time, who'd be the ones in this kind of position. So, like, how do you think City would have stood on it? Because it obviously it suits them now, and we've had Serario uh, Cer- in recent. <laughs> it's another way of the loans that would have come in. Serario, probably not saying his name right, even my apologies. Would have wants um, the B teams and that. It seems like a lot of it would have been City's favour, but would as Joe Bray wrote on the AM a great piece like you need to remember where they've come from because they wouldn't have been in this position 10 years ago
1: yeah and i i would like to think that um city would kind of city won't kind of act against um a lot of their fans and i know you know some fans may have been fully in favor of the plan some partly but i mean i mean the the view from the official supporters club was that you know they didn't support um what the, the big picture was and you would like to think that the club um wouldn't go against i mean city are now one of the leading clubs in the world and ferran Soriano suggested B teams last week um it's something that Pep said before Patrick Vieira suggested it when he was in charge um of the the under twenty threes it, it's like yeah in an ideal world we'd like this but I, I can't see it happening anytime soon so it, it was mm-hmm. kind of Soriano was kind of blue sky thinking a bit, and uh, it, I mean, he it, he must have known how it would sound well. and I was just and He doesn't want them, but it was um, kind of a bit a bit abstract. I think certainly compared to when you suddenly get all these concrete plans that have been going on mm. on for years. Um, yeah, I mean, it it is a mess. Like City aren't the main story in it because it, it's an issue that. The Premier League the Efl the government are all at loggerheads over and also as much as I wouldn't agree with the sort of the powers being given to the big six um let's not pretend for one second that the big six are always in agreement on everything um because you know they're, they're rivals and they're not and well see you to the court of arbitration for sport and took totally words enough right that's exactly. uh, trying to make sure they stayed out of Europe so it's not like it's
0: Burnley one of them like yeah I would Burnley care
1: yeah yeah like 100% Um, but you you don't want to they shouldn't be able to have that opportunity um, to agree because um, all 20 clubs in the division and and yeah and for I mean I've been off for quite a few days so I've not been looking at it from like a, a professional point of view but yeah, you said 18 teams in the league. That, for me, well, it, the division isn't as good if they're only no. 18 teams. And that playoffs... like, How often is it that the the team who wins the championship and the teams who get automatically promoted do better than the team mm. that comes up through the playoffs? It's not always the case. No. Um, and, I mean, who was yeah. it last
0: year who came through the playoffs? Obviously, Sheffield United and... Oh man, I can't remember who went down last year. But yeah, I know what you mean. Like um the playoffs team is often the one who kind of Yeah, like, like Huddersfield
1: came up through the playoffs, I think, mm-hmm. and then one took ten points from the first twelve games and stayed mm-hmm. up. So you well, know, you're well, who,
0: until they went down with playoffs winners, until they went, you know, they you know, they yeah. gave a lot of teams bully noses at the start of the season as well. It's just yeah, it seems like a real kind of way to kind of solidify and like while there's no doubt the lower leagues need it this isn't the way to do it because the football is kind of built on competition. As we were saying, like clubs go up and down and that's what makes it fluid and fun. You know, Everton were the top club in the eighties. Villa and Forest have been champions league winners, all European cup winners. And they're now, well, one's a per, uh, periphery, a championship club and the other's struggling at the bottom of the league. It's a fluid game. And it, I should say less games, surely less TV rights, but then it's cause they want less fixtures, but then they want longer, um, Jet set in Europe, uh, Asia tours and Australia tours and USA tours. It strikes me, and I think it's quite telling that the two main kind of runners of it are American because uh, it kind of really strikes me as how American sports are run, how it's a closed shop. There's no relegations in it. Even, you know, the MLS is the same. It's like it was all franchises, they all stay where they are because they were all in kind of while well, they're all competing on the field. They are all kind of as well. If you look into how kind of uh, NASL was originally set up in America, it was like free. Uh, men who all owned the clubs because they're all in it together pretty much because it's at the end of the day over there while obviously the sport on the field is just competitive as anywhere the end game is a lot much is financial and that's why I think it's getting brought over in much more and more it's definitely becoming more capitalistic and I'm not saying football isn't it's always has been but it feels like in the last even in the last year it's just feeling like it's going more and more to the edge because this isn't the first sort of this announcement that's happened in the last year, the European Super League keeps getting knocking on the door, and it's honestly it's quite worrying. Like, I'm, you know, we both uh, have <laughs> unfortunate admiration for clubs who have had financial difficulties in the last <laughs> five years or so, and it's just it's just depressing. It's all just down to money now, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, the, it's a conversation that's not going to go away, and will rumble on and on. And you know, the the elite teams will always be looking for the best out of them and um you know as as everyone will be everyone's looking out for themselves um and it's going to be in kind of an ever shifting landscape to uh to to see what's what's going on so we wait and see what happens with mm-hmm. uh this latest project or plans but we I, I as I said you kind of would hope that um any decision that city the football club come to is um, done mm-hmm. with the support of the majority of their fans.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, at least for now, it's been pushed back. We don't know when uh, kind of a new proposal will be laid bare and what will happen in the years to come. But from one kind of depressing real, um, reality shock of what football's become to another, uh, PPV matches were announced of just well the week before. It's kind of taken the shine off it. It's all big picture stuff. It's almost as if they had a you know they buried bad news with bad news, but um. Yeah, so any team in the Premier League now, any games that aren't selected for the usual BT and Sky Sports kind of slots, which I think is five matches uh, per week, will now be behind a paywall and you'll have to, and fans will have to pay, even those who've bought season tickets, as I'm so far aware, um, will have to pay 15 quid per game to watch them and I presume again we're in complete agreement on how this is... Quite Just quite distasteful after a January transfer window in which Premier League clubs spent over a billion pounds. It's just beyond the pale again.
1: Yeah, I, I have sympathy for the Premier League and the clubs because... Um, Do you? <laughs> well, because fans should already have been back at games in some True. regard True. and it's sort of the complete mishandling of the pandemic from elsewhere that means that they're in this position. And you see like, you know, there's a lot of people angry. You see like a full London Palladium this Mm -hmm. week, an indoor venue to witness Arsene Wenger. And then you have sort of the, um, the culture secretary saying, oh, well, you know, it's not just being inside a stadium. It's, uh, it's, you know, all the things go into it. And, you know, they put the 10pm curfews in and everyone's out on the street together at, at ten o'clock, it's kind of there's for for years and years and years. There's been kind of a a mistrust or a certain framing of football fans that they won't do what they're told, mm. Um and you know the idea that some fans would not want to go and watch their team, even if it meant they couldn't go and have three beers beforehand or walk to the game with their mates as they usually do or whatever, is kind of a bit. Well, I. Just can't agree with it at all when you see everything else that's going on. Um, I, don't, I don't think all fans would want to go back, and people I've spoken to they say, "Oh, yeah, I don't want to go back till it's full or till it, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's all normal again or, or whatever." And fine, but you know, fans should be back in yes, games 100%. now, at least to a um, certain
0: extent. You know, I can understand not full capacity. You know, yeah. space it out twenty five percent, twenty, even ten percent. And it is, as I say, they have been put in a fortunate position, especially the clubs lower down the pyramid who are in the same kind of boat. And I think a lot of what I saw went unnoticed that a lot of Premier League clubs, not sorry, a lot of clubs kind of have paid a lot of money for put COVID precautions in. I saw Millwall had spent £250,000 to put um, kind of uh, sanitised stations or it might even be track and trace stations in around the ground and to have space in for queues to get into the grounds and stuff because they were all expecting to have fans in uh, by early October. And obviously, it's gone. It's gone down the pan, unfortunately. But we turn towards the pay per view. I say it's unfortunate that it's led to this, and it's, it's strange. Why say while it's like you say you have sympathy? I kind of think it's weird. I like EFL fans of EFL clubs have had to pay a tenner from the absolute start um, for every match. With iFollow. follow although it is good that um, season ticket holders do do get the code to any game at home for free, which is as it should be I think if Premier League clubs did that I think a lot of the uh, backlash would have been a little less severe but I think £15 a game every game especially if you look at teams I think it's West Brom and Aston Villa aren't on TV at all throughout October so they would have to pay 45 quid for each of the three games it's just it's
1: just taking the mech isn't it yeah it's terrible it's disgraceful and I think you know City are lucky in the sense that all of their games in October are on TV but uh, the way that clubs get their revenue um it is kind of you are more helping out a lower league club by paying 10 pound to watch a game than you are to pay 15 pound to watch a premier league game um and you're probably more likely to own bt or sky i would suggest if your club is in the premier league because you're more like so you're already paying for money um Mm -hmm. For for Sky and BT because your club's likely to be on those channels more often than you are if you're in the Championship or, or below, um, and fifteen quid on top. Like no disrespect to them, but who is going to pay fifteen quid on top of what they already pay to watch West Brom v Burnley?
0: Yeah, well, like, I think that's it, kind it, of, I think that's kind of the sad thing about it. It's like fans may still, you know, fans may think, "Oh, fifteen quid, I really want to watch." United Newcastle example I know that's the first one on Saturday like United fans probably will pay for it or Newcastle fans for that matter but you're not getting neutrals paying it I don't think and that's the kind of sad thing because neutrals are going to miss out on potentially a good game there I know they wouldn't be able to watch it in normal times anyway but newsflash these aren't normal times anymore and when you've been given you know when you've been given in the games not for free they've not only five or so games have been on BBC for free I think a lot of people have been saying they've been getting away for free. They've not been. They've started to be a Sky customer for most of them. Obviously, they've had some free games too. You've started to be a Sky customer on the most part to watch these games that have been broadcast. So It's not for free, but to be giving them extra and then taking them away is like another money grab. Again, after fan, after the teams have just spent over a billion pounds in the transfer window, it just it kind of sticks in the craw a bit, I think
1: yeah i I think you know as we've kind of mentioned a bit and like there are so many discussions going on and everyone's coming at it from different perspectives and and no one is particularly kind of winning from this pandemic like nobody's mm-hmm. having a good time and the broadcasting companies are losing money and they've lost access and whatever and no one's having a great time but the, the fans definitely aren't winning and they've you know the they don't normally win a lot normally but we're, we're normally talking about them you know silly kickoff times or having no trains back from wembley mm. or anything like that whereas you know now it's literally like you you know you can't go you can't watch the games mm. um unless you pay silly amounts of money um mm-hmm. so what once again the uh, the fans who don't have kind of who, who have the least power in this in these situations get sort of the least mm-hmm. back
0: yeah I just wish off of half I just wish in our, we were better at that kind of collective action because I think what's been made abundantly clear over the last uh, kind of few months is that football without fans is not the same it, not at all um, when you just listen to the echo with shouts or kind of mistimed uh, FIFA background chants it's absolutely not the same we don't really, while some games have still been brilliant I think we have kind of got used to it I think Newcastle sorry I think Leeds City the other week was a fantastic game so intense, and I kind of forgot fans weren't there at one stage until they score and they pant to the empty seats. But like, we've fans have been shown how pretty important they are. And I think as we, if we, because we're all missing it, I don't think it's going to happen, but we really should kind of put our foot down and refuse to go back to games until we're treated with a bit more respect. You know, if fans, if game times can be moved, kick off um, from a quarter past eight to eight o'clock just for a curfew. They can be moved if the last train back from London is half an hour before the end of the game. So, it's really frustrating. But what can you do? Here?
1: Yeah, I, it's really interesting. Uh, Pep Guardiola has just been speaking with uh, Virat Kohli, the Indian cricketer. Oh, okay. Um, and he was asked whether kind of the absence of fans made it easier to manage, because you know you've not got the distraction of the crowd mm-hmm. or it's easy to get your instructions across. And he just basically said it's rubbish said the good mm. moments are less good the bad moments are less bad it's kind of mm-hmm. that those like agony and uh ecstasy you think back to like mm. the the Champions League game Tottenham, the other Tottenham. year with Tottenham yeah yeah like you know and that was an iconic reaction from Guardiola as he went from one extreme to the other oh. like that he just said that's gone essentially and mm. it is less enjoyable for the players and the manager mm. And it's certainly less enjoyable for the fans. So I know mm-hmm. it, it's hard to avoid with what's gone on. And obviously safety is important, uh, of paramount importance. Um, but it, it it's not as good a thing as it was, which is no. a shame.
0: Yeah. So we can only hope we're back in quickly and all the, you know, the fans getting the shot of the stick kind of ends soon, but... I have doubts. But moving on to actual football, because there has been some international football this week and it has been some bad news for City, unfortunately, because Kevin De Bruyne in England's match against Belgium kind of picked up an injury, kind of seemed innocuous. He kind of passed a ball and seemed to pull something or twist an ankle. We we don't have a clear picture of the injury yet, I don't think, but he's been sent home from the Belgium squad, won't play in Wednesday night's game against Iceland and it's uh, bad news for City, sir.
1: Yeah um it is is certainly not what you would want i think De Bruyne coming back fits from international duty is maybe a number one priority of your city um mm-hmm. that hasn't happened it seems to be the case that it's more kind of preventative uh, trying to uh, to make sure that it's not it doesn't turn into something that's more serious than than it is at the moment um but still a uh, major doubt for for Saturday's game with arsenal mm-hmm. which is. Which is unfortunate, um, for City. Um, they should be able to uh, have their Portuguese players back at least because there was a bit of a scare mm-hmm. there when Cristiano Ronaldo tested positive for Covid hours after slapping up a picture of him next to Joe Cancelo. Mm-hmm. Um, of hasn't
0: played yet this season because he's been injured,
1: yeah. Um, so but yeah, Cancelo Bernardo and Ruben Diaz, of course, um, should be back. Sterling withdrew from the England squad for their mm-hmm. qualifiers with a hamstring issue should be okay um for for Saturday Aguero has been training um with the group but they've also had a bit of time off as well Aguero has been in London um at Jesus only just back so not sure that that will be enough time for him mm-hmm. um so some <laughs> Yet again, some kind of major injury concerns for City. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, been it's... a topic of the season.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it yeah, certainly has. You know, Bernardo's been out. Cancelo, as we just mentioned, has been out. Um, Jesus has been out, as we said, and we've seen kind of Raheem Sterling, and yeah. Liam Delap play up front in that central role. Um, how big of... I mean, it's obviously, it's obviously it's an obvious answer. De Bruyne has probably been City's best player again so far this season. I think I'd hasten to what I like. He's yeah. just above the rest and playing Arsenal. Arsenal, who beat City last year in the uh, FA Cup semi-final, Arteta feels like he's had Guardiola's number on quite a few occasions. He's been really impressive at Arsenal, like especially against bigger sides. Like we may as well go straight into this Arsenal game, which they play on Saturday. Like, how do you see this game going? Uh, City look kind of maybe depleted, or at least if not without the star players, some of them aren't going to be up to the snuff, or up to the fully fit, especially with Aguero. Um, how do you see it kind of going?
1: Yeah, it's going to be tough. Um, Arteta has kind of developed this reputation as the the details man, and the, certainly at City he was the guy who could put make Guardiola's instructions practical and accessible for the players, and you know had these ideas to to get in behind opponents. And there'll be few people who know City's weaknesses and strengths better than him. Um, we are not the left
0: back anyway, so <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: As so he showed well. up, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it's going to be it's going to be tough, and Arsenal have looked decent. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, more than anything, it's about spirit and sort of buying into this collective philosophy. And Arsenal, for years, have looked like a just a shambles, mm. really. And I, I went to the Etihad to the Emirates uh, last Christmas, and City just took them apart so easily. You've got like Nicholas Pepe, who's cost 72 million doing nothing at all, just like jogging. And and then, you know, that that was unrecognizable to the, the team that beat City in mm. the FA Cup semi. Um, but Guardiola keeps saying that this City Squad still have this hunger to to reach the top and to to challenge for the league. Um off the three performances so far this season, you wouldn't say it, but then you look at Liverpool and United getting battered, and you think maybe it's going to be a funny yeah. old season where you, the standard doesn't mm-hmm. need to be that high. So um, that will have given them kind of a bit more of a lift going into this game. Um, but the motivation should should mm-hmm. be there anyway. And on on their day, um, City are better than Arsenal.
0: Of course they are. Of course they are. But I think Arsenal will be. I think Thomas Party new signing on deadline day. Uh, will be there. Gunnar Soros won't be there, of course, sadly. What can you do? Um, but yeah, Thomas in new signing. He seems, yeah, it seems like it's going to be kind of a close drawn thing, I think, especially you know, Arsenal. You know, they've, in contrast to City, Arsenal's players have had a great international break. has made his England debut and will likely play uh, against uh, Denmark on Wednesday. Um, Enketia became England 2021's record goal goalscorer. Um, it seems like that they're, they're going into it a bit more kind of are prepared as well, I think. Like I say City's absence is going to be costly. I'd say, how do you think they'd line up up front? Because Liam DeLap's the only fit one. Really? If you're looking at it now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for for such a big game, um, you would probably go Sterling up front. I know mm-hmm. he, he has his detractors, um, but he is the top scorer for the season. He scored against Leeds. He did miss that mm-hmm. one-on-one. Um, but, um i think he's kind of the most natural option in the absence of of jesus and aguero i mean uh maras has played there but didn't really kind of give them the same uh the same central figure and foden has done it as well but you're talking more of a false nine whereas sterling's kind of the closest to an actual nine you can get Mm -hmm. um with with aguero and and jesus out um so yeah, I mean it's gonna to be tough. Um and you you do feel you talk about Arsenal being prepared, it still feels like City have not got control of their season. Um mm. they've had these positive COVID tests. Um I mean Gundogan's missed the the entirety of their season pretty much after being getting a positive test kind of just before the the first game of the season at Wolves. So it's it it still feels like they've got a lot of injuries they've got a lot of headaches um but there is the basis of a very good team and now Mm that you know you're talking you should have edison walker laporte diaz and mendy or aki at the back like that is a a very solid very good Mm -hmm. back five uh foundation rodri is um, pretty much fit all the time. You know, say what you like about his game, but he, he's, he rarely uh, suffers an injury. And you've got Sterling, you've got Bernardo, you've got Gundogan, um you've got all these all these talents, really. You you might not have an actual striker for, for the Arsenal game, but you should have plenty to, um, if, to get them over the line. I wonder if
0: we'll finally get Gundogan there, because he has teased it before in the past. And that would be, I'd be very, because I think a lot of fans' heads may fall off if that is the case. <laughs> because they think yeah. they're too uh, defensive with him in midfield, let alone him playing up front. So that could be quite fun. But, um, so the season, as you kind of alluded to that, it's been a weird season for City. Obviously, the, kind of the pre-season was truncated and uh, disrupted largely, as it has been for everyone. And I think that's why we've seen such strange results, as we saw the Sunday before the international break, which you also alluded to. But, um. Started off with like a really good performance against Wolves, a team they've struggled against in the last couple of seasons, and it looked quite optimistic. But then, then came their own battering at the hands of Leicester. And then, usually, when City kind of suffer a defeat or a heavy defeat, they kind of come back into the next game, all guns blazing, and tend to steamroll the next opponent. Didn't happen against Leeds, although it looked like it may do in the opening kind of 20 minutes or so. But then, Leeds came back really good, and Leeds hitting the bar, and then, um, Patrick Bamford not not to my sugar and not squaring it when he went clean through. Um we're kind of unfortunate to not win it themselves. So it's a strange season for City so far. How are you kind of how do you think it's it's kind of hard to predict how the season's gonna go, I think, because no one's got their act together really, apart from Everton. So unless we think Everton are going to win the league. Or Aston Villa for that matter.
1: Yeah, it's um it's difficult because you sort of Wolves, Leicester and Leeds are three of you you trickier games in the division probably mm-hmm. three of the best coaches you're going to come up against in the league um over the course of the season so you know 4 points from 9 is not great 4 points from 9 will not win you the league um but it it kind of feels like city are, city have been running on empty really like if if you a common trend against all, in all three games is they've started really brightly um, they've taken the lead in all three games and then they've kind of been pegged back to different degrees, so Wolves tried and couldn't, Leicester absolutely did and battered them and uh, and Leeds kind of came back and then it could have gone either way that to me speaks of kind of the lack of pre-season and mm-hmm. the, the chaos of this year essentially um, and they've tried to sort of take control of games as early as they can and keep that control and they've just had varying success in Mm -hmm. in keeping it so you would expect as the season progresses and starting against arsenal for them to have longer of the game that they're in control and Mm -hmm. because everyone has this thing about city never come back you know they never are able to sort of come back into a game once they've conceded well they for for probably two years they were rarely behind so it didn't matter because they the lead and they kept control of the game you'd like to think with um, a solid centre-back pair in in Diaz and Mm -hmm. Laporte um, and I like Aki a lot as well that Mm -hmm. um, they should keep control of more games by not conceding as many goals and you would expect like I say, that as the fitness and the rhythm comes back, they'll start to control more games, so they they should get much better on uh, the first three games, which they will need to do
0: well, You mentioned that how they've played kind of the three toughest coaches, I think that's a great point. But it's not getting that much easier as the next few weeks go on, uh, as we've as we've talked about. Arteta at Arsenal now it does get easy the week after because they've got West Ham. Well, Alan Irvine versus um, via David Morris from home, but then after that, it's like Chris Wilder at Sheffield United, who they've had a uh, struggle to start the season themselves. But, um, you know, we all know Wilder's kind of qualities. Then you've got Liverpool then you've got Tottenham, and then we're back to City's easy game against Burnley, but it's quite a tough week, a tough few weeks that, into November, which is obviously intersliced for three weeks with Champions League matches at Porto, I guess Porto, away at Marseille, then away at, oh, sorry, then at home at Olympiacos before the Champions League has a two-week break. It's a tough running for City that the next few, you know, the next month or so. It's going to be, re- it's going to be a really hard run of games, I think. And West Tallahassee yeah. and form. you know, you'd expect City to beat them quite handily, as they always do, but you know, it's a weird season, you'd have thought they'd beaten Leicester and Like it's it's a it looks like it'd be a tough few weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I guess all they can do is take the sort of prioritise the victories over their rivals. Um I mean I'm kind of a bit dismissive of Champions League groups, but I I think you should be winning all your home games. Mm-hmm. Um so the fact they've got two of those three uh are at home and then Marseille away you know it, Guardiola might prove me wrong and Marseille might turn out to be like the best team in Europe as <laughs> as Napoli were and every man and his dog out when they play them um but you you would expect um the Champions League shouldn't give them too many problems no it's um, a
0: fortunate group again you'd like to think Marseille might, might be tough they beat PSG at the start of the season they have had a pretty good start themselves after Dimitri Payet's there and we all know yeah. who he is but, but you it, but it, against got Gianluca it should be quite comfortable
1: it's the same with Marseille are the same as Leon, you know. Mm-hmm. You're not saying that they're a bad team, but there is no way that this city side should be losing to them. So mm-hmm. but, um
0: the Champions but, League semi-final happened. So Yeah,
1: yeah, they did. Um so you know, you would think that after that Champions League performance that uh, there would kind of be a, a consolidation of city's position and saying, look, we need to stop messing about here and, and get this out of the way, and mm-hmm. more so because of the pact calendar. Um so I mean again you'd like to see that Aguero and Jesus are coming back um in in this month before the next international break. So that yeah. should help sort of the cohesion and the rhythm and the just the feeling around the place that like I say that they're in control of their own destiny kind of thing and are ready to put together a form. But it, it's gonna be a bit a bit like in their uh their first title defence season. Um, when Liverpool were going so strong, and they and they put this run together, and then they lost away at Newcastle in January, and it felt like the end and it and it and I remember doing a piece on why it had all gone wrong, which aged mm-hmm. really well, but um <laughs> they you know they weren't amazing the next week, but they won, and then they won, and then they won and they won, and, they won, and slowly. You know, the, the boulder started rolling, and that is what they're going to have to do this season. As disjointed as it is, and as much as the standards might be lower and the points totals might be lower, that's just what they're going to have to do. I think because of the circumstances. How
0: are you optimistic for the next few games? Do you see them getting kind of back to somewhere near their best and getting a run of results together, or do you think it's largely going to be inconsistency that we've seen so far?
1: Um I think. I think there might be there the, the will be more inconsistency but I mean it depends how much of that relates to performance and, and result it felt last season like they were pretty unlucky in terms of a lot of kind of a lot of their errors were were punished um, mm-hmm. and a lot of their bad performances ended up in bad results and even good performances you got bad results now maybe that is the sign of a team that isn't great or isn't as great as it was but you'd like since some of that luck equals itself out and Mm -hmm. and maybe um this season you know they've been Mm -hmm. battered by Leicester and you just kind of Mm. think that they they should be on the the right side of more things than they have been in, in the last year
0: I'm I'm going to by no means jump into conclusions and saying Pep out or anything along those lines, but it's his first time in his fifth year at a club. I think there's an argument to be said that the, the intensity with which he kind of marshals his players and trains them, is, is it just not sustainable to be doing that? the, the With the intensity he trying to trains and the level of detail and how draining it must be, not even just physically, but mentally as well, is not an argument to say that maybe it just doesn't last for five seasons? And we kind of, kind of see, as we saw last year with the kind of results slipping and the concentration levels perhaps not being the highest. Are we kind of seeing the start of maybe kind of coming to kind of the end of Guardiola? Or do you think, because it's a new challenge for him, he's never had to kind of rebuild after a, a bad season. He left after he lost the league to Madrid at Spain. He never had to rebuild at all at Bayern because it's just Bayern, obviously. But he, so he's never had to like kind of come back against a challenger after losing. So will he be able to do it, or do you think it kind of might be at the end? He's got a year left in his contract. He said he wants to stay, but I, I I know it feels like it might just he might just have it might just be too much for. And you know the biggest managers only Ferguson and Wenger to an extent really has stayed in especially in England stayed at clubs and been successful for such a long time. Usually you, the managers you think of, Mourinho's the same, you're at your peak for a decade usually at most. I hope it's not the end because obviously Guardiola's football, when it's its best, is absolutely spellbinding. But I, I, I wonder if maybe, it might, at
1: least at City, it might be kind of coming towards its end. Yeah, I mean, he... There's no argument to say that it isn't the end because he's never done a fifth season at the club so no one knows how it's going to turn out. Um, But as you say, the peak doesn't normally come in season five, um, especially with Guardiola. So there there are questions to answer. I mean, he, like all the top players and coaches in the world, love nothing more than to prove people wrong. And he came to England and they said, you can't change English football. You can't win the league with your football. Mm -hmm. You can't win the league without doing tackles. You can't win the league and... And he did. And then they said, yeah, and then, you know, they said, we can't do it again. And he did. So he's got the track record to suggest that he can do anything he wants to do with um, the team that he's got. Um, It's been, I would say, a fractious start to the season when you think of um, all the injury issues and, and everything else that's gone on. I mean, we're in danger of kind of forgetting a lot um, I'm trying to think. I feel like at the start of last season and the first few months of last season, it felt more like the um like everything was falling apart than it does now. Maybe because well, yeah. you know Tottenham the
0: results I remember was the first one, wasn't it? And then the Laporte yeah. injury at Brighton in the next game. Yeah. And then there was a was it was it not a Wolves match quite early on? Was that yeah before the
1: October international break. Yeah, they lost mm. and they were terrible and 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 yeah, you you felt like things weren't right and you felt like it wasn't a happy place. And now, yeah, it's it's not great, but you feel a bit more like things are better than than they were at that point last year, if that makes sense. I mean, the the big elephant in the room is Guardiola's contract because it runs out in. Uh, at the end of June and mm. is he going to renew? Is he not? The club don't seem to be sort of uh, that bothered about setting him any kind of deadline for when to make a decision. Um, the He doesn't seem in a rush to make a decision. He said on record that it's um, he needs to earn a new contract but only he decides whether he's earned one or not because, so, you know, the club are going to the club want him to stay. The club are going mm-hmm. to do everything they can to to make him stay. Is it a distraction that the players don't know if he's going to leave? Is it a problem for potential transfer targets that they don't know if they're going to come and play under Pep Guardiola or A.N. Other? Do the club need time to seek out the right man and spend kind of enough time like making sure that they feel wanted um, if Guardiola is to leave? So that, that is the the uncertainty around Guardiola and his and his future, I think, mm-hmm. um which is is almost kind of more important than whether they win the league or not this year.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we look forward to seeing you know the football coming back this weekend and seeing uh well where the results take us very intriguing, but I know before we go, you want to kind of clarify some transfer speculation or kind of misconceptions that fans have so the the floor is yours. Time. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Well, no, it, it was just that um, I mean we were lucky enough to speak to the club's COO Omar Barada um, about the transfer window and all the deals that they did, and um, and there were kind of a few a few reports afterwards. I I think the it would be easy to think that City had like the perfect transfer window and got every player that they wanted and didn't. Look at anyone else, and I think the reality was much more nuanced than that. And you know, if um, if Omar was saying that City, if if Omar said that Kula Bali was never a reality, it's because the price that City and Napoli wanted was never in the same ballpark for Kula Bali. It wasn't that City had no interest in Kula Bali. It wasn't that City didn't actively look at him and Kounde and others. Um, when they were looking at signing a centre back, it was just it was never a reality because you know everything didn't align into place. And in the same way with with a left back, you know we know that they looked at a left back. We know that they had interest in signing one. So you know to say that oh you know we we didn't sell these players and we we didn't move them for a left back. Well, that that is the re- reality of uh, that is like the final outcome, but it's not kind of all the working that was done at the time to to work out all the possible situations because no you know, no no club ever has a perfect uh, transfer window and everyone's always looking at, at different things that they can do. So um it, it yeah, it was just it was just that really. City might feel like they've had a very good transfer window and done everything mm-hmm. they wanted to do, but that doesn't mean that those things didn't change okay. over time. Do you foresee
0: them going again for a left back in uh, January at all? Because they got the centre back they wanted. We don't know how the season is going to shake out with injuries and like that and whatnot. They could probably do with a striker, but like, do you I, see a left back in the new year? What do you think?
1: They don't tend to do business in January, um, really, unless it's a major mm-hmm. uh, signing. I, and I don't—I think... would say their most important signing of the last
0: four or five years in Laporte was in January, though.
1: Yeah, correct. Yeah. But that was circumstance. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a release clause, which is always easier. But, you know, okay. it was a major player. You know, Laporte is one of the best centre backs in the world. Mm-hmm. Can you name me one of the best left bats in the world that they can sign in January? Nope. Probably not. Not talking ahead, you know, at least. It, yeah, I put you on the spot. It, it's one of those um, where, you do, know...
0: Do, is he plays for Liverpools or not?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and even. Even Robertson um, he's is not in the best form at the minute. Um, no. But I I I think they should. I think they're short at left-back and I think they probably need more at left-back. But for now, they've put faith in, in Mendy mm-hmm. and Zinchenko and any other kind of substitute that can...
0: I think Cancelo is going to be the one who's uh, fit because Mendy's yeah. not to start the season whatsoever. And Zinchenko's yet to play because he's injured once again.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would be surprised if they get through the season without it costing them. I'd be surprised if they didn't look at it very closely again mm-hmm. in summer. But January is never a great market to no. um, to buy sort of important players. In. I
0: will give you one who they could get. Maybe a centre back now, but Alaba out of contract in summer. start not a new one see so I pulled yeah. one out there for you. You put me <laughs> on the spot, but I've delivered the goods. But anyway, I hope listeners that you, we've delivered the goods for you this evening. Thank you for listening to the Talking City podcast, Simon. Where can people follow you on uh, Twitter and whatnot and get read your brilliant work and whatnot?
1: Uh, just just search my name. There's not too many of
0: me about. <laughs> Simon Bakowski says, yeah. on Uh I'm at Dan Murphy MEN because my name is unfortunately a lot more common, especially with one certain football commentator, but. We won't get into that. Uh, Thank you very much uh, for listening, everyone, and we'll see you later. Goodbye.